morning, Providence. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, it's a great privilege as those who've been joined to Christ to live in your presence. It's been a great joy this morning to worship you in prayer and in the reading of the scriptures, to worship you in song. Now, Father, we we turn to, to worship you through hearing the word preached. We pray that you would help us in this, that, that you would grant us to consider that what we are about to do is worship. It is an offering to you. And Father, as you know, we are about to read a portion of Scripture that depicts things that appear to be far removed from our everyday experience, things quite foreign to us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to see that these things depicted are, are actually not quite different from what we know, that they represent realities with which we are very familiar, hearts that tend to pull back from you, hearts that want to say, I own me, Hearts that want to say, I don't need to exist in your holy presence. Your word calling us to say the opposite because of what Christ has done for us. We pray that you'd help us to see the truth in the text and how it points us to Christ, how it points us to a new life in Christ. That we would be energized by these things, that we would be moved to greater love for you greater love for the Lord Jesus, greater freedom to live lives of consecrated holiness. We need your help in all of these things. We need your help to understand and we need your help to live in light of what we understand. Father, it's a wonderful thing that we can pray these things with confidence because of what Jesus has done and we do that now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. If you would please stand with me. We're going to read this whole chapter. I'll give you a a little bit of a preview of what we're going to see. The first two verses are going to give basically an overview of the, of the coming chapters, going to invite God's people to give a number of different kinds of offerings. Then the rest of the chapter is going to be about a single kind of offering that the ESV calls a burnt offering, and it's going to give three options for that burnt offering. So that's what we'll be looking for as we read through the text. Leviticus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock 
from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons the priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons the priests shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons the priests shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar." And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." You may be seated. We noted last week that through the existence of the tabernacle, this tent from which God is speaking to Moses, through the existence of the tabernacle, the priesthood and the offerings, the first of which we've just read about, Leviticus turns our eyes toward the central, the central reality of human existence which is that we were created for fellowship with God or abiding with God. The book also answers the central question of human history, which is, how can I, a sinner, enter the presence of a holy God? So you put those two things together, we're we're essentially in the book of Leviticus looking at the question, how can I approach God so that I can do what I was was created to do, which is abide with God. So, the book is all about approaching and abiding with God. And all of these things are set before us through these prescribed offerings. The offerings are means for approaching and expressions of abiding. That's actually the first point in your notes. It's kind of a preliminary a preliminary point, but they are the means of approaching. They are the expressions of abiding. That's what these offerings are for. And logically, we would expect the Lord to begin with an offering of approach, an offering that allows us to enter God's presence. I can't abide with Him. I can't 
enjoy fellowship with him while sin separates me from him. So we would expect him to begin with one of these offerings that allows me to approach, that overcomes sin. And those two offerings that we'll find do that, these offerings of approach are the sin offering and the guilt offering, but the Lord does not start with one of those offerings. Rather, the Lord starts with the offerings of abiding. That's what we're going to call them. There are three of them. And the first that we've just read about is profoundly important. You see, when, when Adam rebelled against God, he was essentially saying to God, I belong to me. I don't need to be with you. And, and that is a straight-up denial of the central reality of human existence, which again is that I was created for fellowship with God. Now, Adam was saying that when he rebelled against God, but by virtue of our descending from Adam, we are conceived with hearts that echo that attitude. I belong to me. I don't need to be with you in your holy presence. And we say that, we are wired to say that in a host of different ways. And I would invite you to consider ways that you may have said that through your actions just in the last week. By how, by how you have used your resources. By how you have gone certain places in your thoughts. By how you have treated your family. By how you have used your words. By how you have indiscriminately steered your affections. How have you said to the Lord, I belong to me. This book begins with an offering of abiding that says the exact opposite. It confesses the true reality of human existence. This offering essentially says to, to the Lord, I belong to you and with you. I belong to you and with you. Now, we saw in verse 2 this kind of umbrella statement about all the offerings. The Lord said, when any of you brings an offering, Offering And even just that word comes from the Hebrew root, which means to come near. To come near. E- even the word offering is, is about coming near to the Lord. That's why the tabernacle exists. That's why the priesthood exists. The offerings, all of it is about facilitating the whole reason why we exist, which is being near God. My life, your life. That's what it's all about. It is not about the, the peripheral things that we tend to make it about. It's not all about all the things through which we tend to say to God, I belong to me, know everything, my life, your life. It is all about belonging to God and being with God. It's about drawing near to Him, enjoying Him. And to the extent that we miss that truth, to the extent that we miss what is actually underneath and behind this first offering, to the extent that we miss this, we miss the point of human existence. Now, this offering is what the ESV has called a, a burnt offering. There's nothing wrong with calling it that. It's fine. I'm going to call it a different name. It's a, it's a different name that is, is based more closely on a literal rendering. I'm just going to call it that because it's going to help us to remember what it means. 
And so the next point in your notes is burnt offering equals ascension offering. I'm going to call it an ascension offering. A very literal way to translate the Hebrew word underneath burnt offering is that which goes up. That which goes up or ascends. That which ascends. It's an ascension offering. So ascension offering is a great way to capture the root meaning of this word. Again, nothing wrong with calling it a burnt offering. But ascension offering is going to help us to remember its significance. Remember, I belong to you and with you is what, is what this, this offering is saying. Now, we're going to walk, first of all, through what it would have been like to, to offer this, this offering, the mechanics of it, so to speak, and then we'll get at how we arrive at the meaning. So look first at verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Again, the burnt offering is what I'm calling an ascension offering. If we scan down to verse 10 and verse 14, we find that there are actually a couple of other options for the ascension offering. You can, you can bring something from the herd, that is a bull, or you can bring something from the flock, that is a goat or a ram, or you can bring a bird. But the procedure does not vary much among those three options. So for the sake of time, we're just going to cover the procedure once. Okay, so you are the offerer. Put yourself in the shoes of the person bringing this offering. First of all, you are going to choose an unblemished male. You're going to find among the animals that you own an animal, a male that has no flaws. It's perfect. It's in perfect physical shape and health. It's an animal that you have raised and cared for. You know this animal. Now we need to step out of our modern Western mindset. This animal is not a pet. This, this animal is your money and your food. And a lot of it. It is a lot of money. It is a lot of food. I, I would encourage you to ask, ask Joe Martell how long he can feed his family on one doe. Joe's a prolific hunter. Ask him how long he can feed his family on one doe. Long time. And a bull is bigger than a doe, quite a bit bigger than a doe. You bring this this big animal, lot of food to you, lot of money to you, you bring this animal to the door of the tent of meeting, and the first thing that you would do there is press your weight down with one hand on the head of the animal. Verse 4 reads, the text says, he will lay his hand on the head of the animal. It's more of a pressing down. You're pressing, you're leaning on the animal, and then you, as the offerer, you would kill this animal, likely by slitting its throat. And I've seen this done, and there's just a ton of blood that flows from the throat of this animal. The priest would catch that blood and pour it out on the side of the altar. What happens next? Then you, as the the offerer, you skin the animal. And and again, I encourage you to talk to somebody who's done this. We've got... Joe Martell, it's also Mark Trammell, MT3, Mark Trammell III, he's also done this. It, it is hard work to manipulate a large dead animal. It's really hard work to manipulate them, to skin them. You would skin this animal. We read this and we think, we read right over it, we don't give a thought to it. This is hard work and it takes a while and you're going to do it. And then you're going to cut it into pieces which is also a lot of work. And then you 
take its entrails and its legs and you wash them with water. It's not the priest that does all this hard work with this offering. You do it. The priest catches the blood. The priest pours out the blood. The priest puts wood and fire on the altar. And then the priest takes all those pieces of the animal, arranges them on the fire, and burns it. Look at verse 9. The priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Some, some translations, instead of food offering, read an offering by fire. And that's just a, a more literal way of, of, of rendering the Hebrew an offering by fire. That's just a way of describing all three of these, these coming offerings of abiding. They're, they are offerings by fire. They are pleasing aromas to the Lord. So that's the procedure. It's a lot of hard work. What does it mean? Well, virtually every action is meaningful. And in a nutshell, the the ascension offering is an expression of consecration of the offerer's life unto Yahweh. It, It pictures the offerer's life being given to God and entering God's holy presence. Again, as we've already said it, my life belongs to you and with you. Now, we do want to expound on that a little bit. I want to to break it down to four elements. Four elements which are in your notes. The first element is atonement. Now, atonement is not a primary element of the of the ascension offering, but it is there. And in order for your life as the offerer to be accepted by God, to enter God's presence, there has to be atonement. Atonement in Leviticus refers to both cleansing from defilement and averting wrath. The ascension offering is not the primary offering in Leviticus for making atonement. The primary offerings for making atonement we're going to find later on are the sin and guilt offerings. Those are the what, what, what we're going to call the, the offerings of approach. The ascension offering is an offering of abiding. And yet, the Lord has, has, has put an element of atonement in the ascension offering just to remind us of this picture that we can't enter God's presence without atonement. So verses 3 and 4 tell us that the offerer shall bring the offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. And again, that's what this whole thing is about. Man is intended to be with God, but he can't be accepted because sin separates him. Atonement has to be made through the shedding of blood so that he is accepted by God. And that, that pressing of the hand on the head of the animal, leaning the weight on the head of the animal, that is not the same act as what we're going to find later in chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement. Some of you may have made that connection. We'll see why when we get to chapter 16, maybe earlier. But here, as, as you're putting your hand on the, the, the head of the animal, the offerer is saying, this animal represents me in this ritual. I can't ascend into the Lord's presence. I'm ascending through this substitute. So atonement is the first element. Second element, the primary element is consecration. Consecration. So having identified with the animal, as the, off, as the offerer is slaughtering this animal, skinning the animal, cutting the animal up, the offerer is acting out 
death to self. In other words, the, the opposite of this natural attitude that says, I belong to me. No, I'm dying to self. I belong to you. And, and we, we've already implied this offering is costly. This, this is a male without blemish. The, the ascension offering requires a male. Other offerings don't require a male. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of food. It is a sacrifice in more than one sense. But, but it's not just about the inherent value of the animal. It's not that God says, you can only come to me through a male bull. It's not just about the, the inherent value of the animal because we do have, as we've seen, as we read through, there are options. It can be a bull, it can be a goat or a ram, or it can be a bird. Now, why would that be? Well, we find out later in Leviticus that God has allowed this because there are some people who can't afford a bull. There are some people who can't afford a goat or a ram. They can only afford a, a bird. And so the point is not the inherent worth of the animal, but it's about the cost to the giver, which points us to this idea that it is about a death to self. I'm dying to me. The fact that this is a male without blemish is significant. That it's a male without blemish points to consecration. This animal has no physical defects, even its its entrails and legs, the the dirtiest part of the animal. They are washed clean so that they're truly perfect when they are offered on the altar. You you remember Psalm 15 that Pastor John read for us at the beginning of the service this morning. Do you you remember the, the question that the psalmist asked at the beginning? Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, who is worthy to enter your holy presence? How does the psalm answer that question? He who walks blamelessly. Blamelessly is the same word translated without blemish, describing this animal. This blameless animal is a picture of the kind of person worthy to enter God's presence. And so the the offerer is approaching God through this blameless animal and at the same time pledging to live a blameless life before God. It's a symbolic consecration of one's life to God in holy living. So the offerer is not saying, I am blameless before God, but I pledge to live blamelessly before God. I'm consecrating my life to Him. Consecration is also pictured in that this is the only offering of all the offerings. It's the only one in which the whole animal is burned up on the altar. The whole animal except the skin. We find in chapter 7 that the skin is kept by the priest. All of the rest of the offerings, something is left behind for consumption by the priests or the offerer. They eat part of it. But with the ascension offering, everything is burned up and offered to the Lord. Consecration. All of it given to the Lord. So Consecration is that primary element of the ascension offering. A third element is transformation. Transformation. We could also think of this as sanctification. In verses 9, 13, 17, we find the text reading that the priest shall burn all of it on the altar. The word burn means more literally offer up in smoke. 
offer up in smoke. And the idea is that this animal is being transformed into smoke. It's being turned into a fragrant aroma to the Lord. So, so here again, it's significant that the ascension offering involves the whole animal, not just parts of it. It's completely transformed, every part of this animal. Even the entrails and the legs, they're all transformed into a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's a great picture of sanctification, the conformity of one's character and conduct to that which is pleasing to the Lord, to the Lord's own character, such that God is pleased. So transformation is a third element. A fourth element, of course, is ascension. Ascension. So this, this animal transformed into smoke, ascends or goes up to God. It enters God's presence in the form of smoke, a pleasing aroma to Him. And by implication by implication and representation, the offerer is, in a sense, going up to God or being offered to God. I belong to you and with you is what is being said. The ascension offering is an expression of the consecration or setting apart of one's life unto holy living in God's presence. I belong to you and with you. Now, Pastor Jason read to us earlier this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. So I'd like to ask you to turn with me over there, Hebrews chapter 10. first verse of that chapter reads this way. For since the law, which we've just been reading, we've just been reading the law of Moses, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So all of the offerings, including the ascension offering, they are but a shadow or a picture of, Of the good things to come, as the author of Hebrews says. And as a shadow or a picture, the ascension offering can't actually accomplish what it pictures. It can't actually bring us up to God. It can't actually offer us to God consecrated. What do we need? We we don't need the shadow. We need the substance casting that shadow. The substance is Christ, according to Colossians. The substance is Christ. Pastor Jason went on to read in Hebrews 10, 5 and following, where the author is quoting from Psalm 40, attributing Psalm 40 typologically to Christ. So look with me at Hebrews 10, 5 again. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And now the author of Hebrews is going to give us a little exposition on Psalm 40. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And so what, what the, the author of Hebrews is saying is that God did not truly desire these prescribed offerings in Leviticus in the law, including the ascension offering. It was God's will all along to provide a body for Christ to offer Him as the substance, as the true offering. Those old offerings are done away with now that Christ has come, Christ the substance, and through His offering, His true offering, we have been sanctified or consecrated once for all through Him. Which leads to the first subpoint under life in Christ in your notes. And that first blank is Christ is my ascension offering. Christ is my ascension offering. Now we'll have occasion to major on the atonement of Christ as we look at other offerings later on. We'll touch on it here just briefly because it is a secondary element of the ascension offering. When, when, when Jesus died on the cross, He atoned for our sins. He cleansed us. He removed the wrath of God, covered, removed the guilt of our sins so that we could be accepted by God. Okay, He atoned. Now this thing of placing a hand on the head of the animal it finds its parallel in New Testament realities in our union with Christ. As the offerer in Leviticus 1 is placing his hand on that animal, he's identifying with that animal through this animal's death and ascension to the Father. I am, in a sense, dying to self and being raised to the Father. So also with Christ's death and resurrection. Christ is the spotless offering. He is the blameless one worthy to enter God's presence. Hebrews 9.14 says that Jesus offered Himself without blemish. He is blameless. He is worthy to enter God's presence. Now, listen to Ephesians 5. This is Ephesians 5. This is a passage that we've all heard many times. See if you can't hear Leviticus 1 language as Paul describes Christ's work. This is Ephesians 5, 25-27. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, Christ's without blemish offering, was a vicarious one. Offered so that we might be received as without blemish. And it's through union with Him and because of His perfection then that we enter the presence of God. So when when we, as, as tainted sinners, when we repent of our sin and trust in Christ... We are identifying with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection such that we are saying, He is my representative before God. His death is my death. And His burial is my burial. His resurrection is my resurrection. And we are saying, it is not by my righteousness that I enter God's presence, but it's by the righteousness of the Holy One to whom I have been joined by faith. By His righteousness that I enter the presence of God. In the New Testament, it it so links the believer to Christ through faith that the believer is said to be in Christ and Christ is in the believer. Now, consider this. 
it is not just, it is not only the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ with which the believer identifies and from which he benefits, but it is also Christ's ascension. Listen, listen to Hebrew, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Also very familiar to us, but listen to this, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated in the presence of the Father in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus ascended to the Father and via our union with Christ, again there Paul uses that language, we are in Christ. Jesus ascended to the Father and via our union with Christ, we ascended such that we are seated with Him in the heavenly places in the presence of God. And so someone may want to say, I'm not sure about you, Pastor Greg, but I'm sitting in Westchester, Ohio, listening to you preach about these things. I am not seated in the heavenly places. I understand. I understand what you mean by that. But Paul is speaking in two ways, all right? He's speaking in two ways. He is, first of all, speaking of a future reality that is so certain that he uses the present tense to talk about it. By faith, Christ's ascension, by faith in Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, our future, resurre- our future ascension is so certain that he's saying, look, this is true right now. Further, Ephesians 1.14 says that the indwelling Holy Spirit right now is serving as something like a down payment on that future glorious inheritance. So that's one way that he's thinking of it. This future ascension of ours, our presence in, in God's presence, is so sure, I'm talking about it as if it's right now. That's one way that Paul is thinking of this. But then he is also thinking of it as an ontological reality. That is, this is actually true, and it's true because... In a spiritual sense, we are in Christ and He is in us. He is our representative. We're in Him, He's in us, and because He is at the right hand of God, we are also right now in a very real sense at the right hand of God. Theologians speak of of these kinds of things as an already not yet reality. The ascension sacrifice of Christ has consecrated us, has set us apart as holy unto the Father, fully pleasing to Him, not according to our blamelessness, but according to Christ's, such that we belong to the Father, our lives belong to God, and our lives belong with God. Now, all of that is one way that the New Testament authors conceive of the ascension offering conceive of the ascension offering as being fulfilled in the work of Christ. But they and Jesus speak of a different way that the ascension offering is fulfilled in New Testament realities, and that is in how we live our lives in Christ. And they they do that by calling us to live Godward lives in eager anticipation of eternity. That is, they call us to daily consecration. They call us to daily consecration 
of Godward lives in eager anticipation of eternity. Or we could say it the way that we've already say it, we've already said it. They call us to live lives that say, My life belongs to you and with you because of what Christ has done. So the second blank in your section underneath life in Christ is my life is an ascension offering. My life is an ascension offering. And a great blanket verse for this is, is Romans 12.1 where Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. And if you're, if you're familiar with Romans, you know the significance of the therefore at the beginning of that verse. He, he, he's not beginning the verse, beginning the book with that, that call to holy living, but he's saying because of Christ's work securing redemption for us, we should live lives offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God. And in doing this, we are simply following Jesus' own command from Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, which is just another way of saying to the Lord, I don't belong to me, I belong to you and with you. Now, what exactly does it mean to present ourselves as living sacrifices? What does it mean on a regular basis in everyday life to say to the Lord, my life belongs to you and with you? To say there's joyful agreement that I'm owned and I live in the holy presence of God. Well, the New Testament authors, they grab a whole lot of Leviticus 1 language and help us to understand what it means. They, they call us to live blameless lives. That's a blanket that we could put over this to describe to us what, what the New Testament authors are calling us to, to live blamelessly. They get even more specific than that, and I'm going to give you several examples. What does it mean to pursue blamelessness or to pursue consecrated living? One example is, here's the first one. We should pursue love. We should pursue love. Loving others as a self-conscious act of consecration to the Lord. Let me give you a few, a few passages to that effect. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Listen for this Leviticus 1 language, Leviticus 1 terminology. Paul writes, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Very similar is 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13. Now, now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, so there's a call to love, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all His saints. So again, they're calling us to pursue love as a means of living blamelessly before the Lord or living lives of consecration. Another way of pursuing blamelessness or consecration is the pursuit of contentment and preferring others. These come side by side. You can understand why if you think about it. Contentment 
and pursuing others. This is Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Another way of pursuing blamelessness or consecrated living. This one is huge. Devotion to evangelism. Devotion to evangelism. This is a huge way of saying to the Lord, I belong to you and with you. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2.14-16. It is pregnant with Leviticus 1 language. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. He's using Leviticus 1 language to say that we live lives of consecration to God, pleasing to Him as a fragrant aroma as we share the knowledge of Christ to those around Him. Let us not pretend that we are living consecrated unto the Lord if we are shutting our mouths and therefore saying practically, my mouth belongs to me. We can't do that. We cannot do that and act as if we are consecrated unto the Lord. Closing our mouths about the existence of God and His attributes and His Son and His salvation. If we exist to be a pleasing aroma of Christ to Him, we must open our mouths. We must live as if all of us, all of us, including our faculty of speech, belongs to Him. Another example of consecrated living, pursuing blamelessness, generosity to others, giving what I have, giving of myself to others as unto the Lord. Philippians 4.18 Paul is receiving this from others, and he says this, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, the, the, the Philippians had, had gifted things to Paul, and he's saying, look, you gave this to me. God received that, that gift that you gave to me. He received that as an offering to him. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We live lives of consecration to God by being generous to others. Now, <clears throat> some may feel as if there, are, there is tension between Christ being our ascension offering and our lives being an ascension offering. If there is tension, the New Testament authors were unaware of it because they use the language of ascension offerings to describe both how Christ has brought us to God in Himself and how we are to dedicate our lives to Him. We simply need to keep straight how they are related. So, as we think of our acceptance before God, we rest in Christ. It is on the basis of His offering, not ours, that we enter the Father's presence on the last day. It is on the basis of His offering, not ours, that we are free and confident to eagerly anticipate the last day. 
and it is on the basis of the acceptability of His offering that we are then joyful and free to, in love, offer ourselves daily as living sacrifices to Him. Pursuing blamelessness in our character and conduct out of love and thanksgiving to Him. And we do this because it pleases God. That's part of what it means to be consecrated to Him. We live for God's pleasure. Now, for some reason, even that language makes some folks really uncomfortable. They become uncomfortable when they hear that we should live to please God. Now, again, we're, we're not pleasing God so that we can be saved. Christ has already saved us. But we want to please Him because we love Him. And when we talk about pleasing God, we are just using clearly biblical language. New Testament, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring language. Let me just give you some of that language. Jesus Himself, we're following His example. He said in John 8, 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Ephesians 5, 10, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Please God more and more. So consider... Have we been living to please ourselves, trying to follow Christ while, in any sense, maintaining the attitude of Adam which says, I belong to me. As we observe a time of reflection in a moment, I invite you with me to consider that question. The Ascension Offering says, because I have fellowship with God, I dedicate myself today to living consciously, blamelessly, in His presence, in anticipation of eternity. I belong to you and with you. Now, how is it that the Lord would have you practically to pursue that kind of consecrated living today. Let's consider that in the coming moments and follow Him in those ways. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You and praise You for the atonement that has granted us access to your presence. We pray, Father, that the, the reality of, of that fellowship would move us then to live lives of consecration. That this picture of the ascension offering in Leviticus 1, that, that, that picture would become robust in our minds, everything that it represents, that it would, that it would call to us the, the reality 
of, of human existence that we were created to be in your presence, to enjoy you, to live for you, that that, that ascension offering would, would call to us in a sense that we would find, Father, that our only true fulfillment in this life is to live out that offering, that as Christ has brought us to you, we should reflect the reality that we do live in your presence, that we do belong to you. So grant us, Father, to surrender all. Grant us daily to deny self and to seek not what pleases us, but what pleases you. In these coming moments, Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, please open our eyes to to those areas of life where we have been saying, I belong to me. Grant us repentance in those things. And grant us to joyfully say, joyfully say, I belong to you and with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.